0: 98.7 FM. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station.
1: Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Then I'll begin.
0: Okay, Okay. here we go. Arizona Sports goes local, local. That is awesome. We're giving the mic to local hosts right here in Phoenix. Well, snap. Because what's a Saturday without sports? 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station, Arizona Sports Saturday.
2: And a happy Saturday to all of you out there listening. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It is your weekend stop for live and local sports talk with Steve Zinsmeister and Trevor Henry behind the glass. I am Mitch Vereldis. And today I want to start with a congratulations, Steve. Okay. Congrats to the city of Seattle. Your oh. waiting
1: is now over. I, I, Yesterday was phenomenal to watch. So the Seattle Absolutely. Mariners haven't made the playoffs since 2001, which, by the way, was a miraculous season. That which, was when Ichiro came over. He won the Rookie of the Year. He won MVP. They won the record for most
2: wins in a season. Which also, by the way, that drought was the longest in professional sports. Active. The longest professional drought in the longest professional sports drought of not having made the postseason. 21 years. It's insane. Now, as cool as it was last night,
1: I was a little bit bitter because Why? I couldn't bring myself to feel bad for Seattle sports fans because I grew up in Cleveland and loving Ew. the Cleveland organization that is now called the Guardians. So, like, they, I think, have the longest championship drought. Now, I, I understand yes. those are two different things it's harder to win a championship than to make the playoffs so to say you haven't made the playoffs in 20 plus years is ridiculous and for that I congratulate them on that but um, it does make you wonder though I mean they're very well set up for the future the Seattle Mariners hundred and that's an organization if I'm the Diamondbacks that I'm looking at and saying they're
2: on the up and up we're on the up and up it, it's it's somewhat comparable in my mind. We had a conversation a few weeks back about the Julio Rodriguez contract. Could the Diamondbacks follow that model for Corbin Carroll? It's possible. Last week, we saw Luis Castillo got extended. Zach and I had a conversation about, is this a model for Zach Gallen? Like, there's a lot more similar, there's a lot more similarity between the Mariners and the Diamondbacks than most people think. I think the Seattle market just gets... Hung out to dry a lot in sports. I mean, they well, lose they've lost the, a lot in they, their Seattle sports
1: history. You lose the Supersonics. That was devastating. You lose an entire NBA market there. I think of all places, they deserve an NBA team again. I, let's just get that out of the way. I can agree the, with that. Mariners haven't made the playoffs in 20 plus years until this season. Uh, Russell Wilson, I. I was going to say deserted the Seahawks. I don't think that's probably the right way to Sounds go about it. Like a lot it. of people
2: were happy he's gone, though.
1: Yeah, oh, well, they're thrilled by it, but <laughs> your team stinks. Yeah, they're bad. They're no good. They're bad. I mean, but they did have the Legion of Boom thing going for like, I don't know, eight they won years a Super Bowl. or whatever. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't. I have a hard time feeling bad for the market because of where I come from in Cleveland and everything, but sure. at the same time, it's magical, and it was a great moment last night.
2: So now the owner of the current longest active drought – Uh, for making a postseason is the uh, Sacramento Kings. And uh, boy, would it stink to be uh, one of their fans, a fan of the Sacramento Kings. I bring that up for no purpose. Um, Tyler Drake, by the way, is going to join us at 1130. So this Cardinals game this weekend against the Panthers, there's some weird, speaking of droughts, there's some weird history between these two teams being that the Cardinals haven't beaten the Panthers in a while since 2013 that just seems
0: weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, most recently last season, these two teams played in Glendale. I know that because I went with a friend from the station, and the two of us showed up 10 minutes late to the game. 10 minutes, Mitch. We walked into the into the stadium, and they were already down 14-0. to zero.
2: The Cardinals were. Cam Newton was back.
1: Well, and that's the other thing that, that ticks you off about that game last season is that the Cardinals were going into that matchup. Cam Newton was... Just freshly signed to the team, I think he had just reemerged with Carolina. That's how low they were
2: on the quarterback depth chart. They were playing PJ
1: Walker at yeah. quarterback. Yeah, Cam Newton comes in. I think he had he had multiple touchdowns in the first quarter. I think in that game, it was really the only game of significance that I remember for Cam Newton last season, and it happened to be in Glendale against the Cardinals. They just have this mental block. Something going on with the Carolina Panthers when they come to town or go to Carolina. Remember, too, you played them in the uh, NFC Championship game, got demolished. I remember that one because we came up with the brilliant idea here at the radio station to have a postgame show that went from the end of the game all the way to 6 a.m. show the next day. We called it the postgame show from hell because we were here all night talking about getting demolished by the Panthers. Even before that, there was the playoff game where Ryan Lindley had to
2: play due to injuries to multiple quarterbacks on the team. If I saw correctly, the last time the Cardinals beat the Panthers, they still had Carson Palmer, but Carson Palmer got injured in that game, and that was kind of the the end of the line, or the end of the road for that matchup. Yeah. It's a, lot, it's a really weird history.
1: It is. Well, and it's not like these two teams play all that often, or play in the regular season
2: every year. They're in the same conference, but they're not the same division. Right. And in order for those things to happen, you either have to be assigned the entire division on the schedule, or more often than not, it's because you were equal place in your standings. And the only reason that they've played the Panthers so much has been because that has lined up every single year, it seems. Somebody told
1: me yesterday that Cliff Kingsbury and Matt Rule, the two head coaches in this matchup, are currently the highest odds in Vegas to lose their job. To
2: be the first coach fired, essentially. I'd take that. I w- I would say Matt Rule before Kingsbury, but it's because you and I both know that the dude just got a five-year extension. Yeah. I think he signed through 2028, 2027. Although... Like Look, it would it would probably be incredibly rare, but we can't just rule out the possibility that he does get fired if this team regresses. Yeah, and I, I'm not ready to go down that road
1: yet, for what it's worth. I mean, like you said, the guy just got an extension. They've played three games. Quite frankly, when you and I got the schedule a couple of weeks ago, we went through it, and I thought they would be 0-3 at this point. And they easily could have been, had that Raider game gone a different direction, and they hadn't had some miraculous plays at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have been 0-3. This This team... Easily could have been, but they're not. They're 1-2, and and that's better than I kind of expected when we first saw the schedule. So I'm not ready to panic yet. I'm not ready to fire anybody yet. But there's obvious questions that we can ask. Is it time that the Cardinals went out and found somebody else to call the plays? But we know why that'll never happen. (sighs) Because if if Kingsbury goes and finds somebody else to call the plays, what does he do?
2: It's just... That's his specialty. It's just frustrating to watch this team and to watch this setup that was that was heralded because the guy was an offensive guru. And like he worked with Patrick Mahomes, Case Kingdom, like the list goes on. It's not translating at this level. It doesn't matter if you have this one in a million quarterback. The reason that they're winning games is because Kyler Murray is a one in a million quarterback. That's it.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. It's so far, I think a lot of the national media attention too, because of how the Raider game ended with a miraculous two-point conversion and a bunch of other great plays that, well, really two miraculous two-point conversions from Kyler, one Mm -hmm. on the ground and one through the air. Mm -hmm. A lot of people look at this. I mean, the LaShawn McCoy cuts from this week talking about all Kyler does is just snap the ball and run around and hope something happens. And while, yes, he's very good at that, You can't build an offense around that. That isn't an offense. You you can't rely on it. And I do feel at times that it's just snap the ball, somebody block somebody, and I'll figure it out. And that's hero ball. You can't win games in the NFL consistently doing that. You can win one every now and then. I think the Vegas game
2: was very much like that. But you can't do it week to week. Okay, so weird stat number one is that the Cardinals have failed to beat the Panthers since 2013. Yeah. And they've had quite a few matchups against them. Yeah. Here's the next weird stat. Since Kyler Murray has been the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, when he rushes 10 or more times a game, the team is 9-1. and one. When he rushes somewhere between 5 or 9 times a game, the team is 14-14, 500 record. But when he rushes 4 or fewer times a game, this team is 0-11-1. Interpret that how you want, but during show prep, you brought up probably the most important wrinkle that I don't think was even considered.
1: Yeah, so the easy way to read that stat, the easy conclusion to come to, right, is that the more they run with Kyler Murray, the more that he gets out and uses his legs, the more they win, which is just statistically true. But here's the factor that a lot of people aren't considering, because most people are saying, all right, let's just do more designed runs for Kyler Murray, and that'll lead to more success. Maybe, maybe that's true. But what you're not considering is that the majority of his running plays are not scripted. They're off script. They're scrambles. They're him trying to make something out of nothing. And for that reason, I read that statistic negatively, that the Cardinals are having more success when Kyler Murray just is entrusted to just figure it out. Now, you know, there's no bigger fan of Kyler Murray than me. I've been watching this kid since he was fifteen mm-hmm. in high school. We went to the same high school and he was phenomenal in college, as we all know. He was a surprise number one pick in my mind. I, I think a couple months before that draft, I don't think he's even a first round pick. and then he miraculously is a number one pick. He might have go played baseball. I love Kyler. Yeah, he was very good at baseball. I love Kyler Murray. You're not going to find a bigger fan of Kyler Murray than me. He can do some incredible things that others can't. But you can't rely on him using his legs. It can't be based on that. There's only a handful of quarterbacks in the NFL's history that you can really design run plays for. Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson currently. But why can't Kyler be one of them? I, th- I think it's because they're trying to build an offense with him in the pocket.
2: And you have but to the, the, on but some clearly level. Clearly that's not working. Because zero and four rush attempts a game means that they're going to lose or tie 100% of the time.
1: I also don't think that they've designed a very good offense regardless of whether he's running or not. I can agree with that. One of the maybe most,
2: that's because they designed it the wrong way.
1: One of the most frightening statistics is that the Cardinals are the only team in the NFL to not score a point in the first quarter yet this season. Is
2: that going to change
1: tomorrow? Well, it might, but What frightens me about that is that it speaks to the play calling, right? And Cliff Kingsbury even said after this game, and I'm tired of hearing this week after week, the last couple of seasons from Cliff, is, well, we called a bad game. We didn't call a good game. Then go call one. You can control that. You have a whole week to call a good opening drive. I once heard Carson Palmer say that the great thing about the opening couple of drives, maybe it's the first drive, the second drive, is that you script the first 10 to 15 plays of the game. It's scripted.
2: The team practices that drive. It's like you know what you're going to do, and then later on you adjust and figure it out based off of how successful or unsuccessful that was. Right. And I feel like the team lacks that ability to do that. So
1: to have such little success early in games when the plays are the most practiced and the most scripted and you know what you're doing? Then how the hell can you rely on them when they need to adjust late? That's a problem. That's a big problem. Speaking of problems, coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Monty Williams should have done what Tori Lovello did. We'll explain that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7
0: FM, Arizona's sports station. Arizona Sports Saturday. I
1: haven't spoken one. Yeah, no, I haven't spoken at all. Ever
3: since the
1: game. Kind of hard to hear there, but DeAndre Ayton talking about how he has not talked to Monty Williams since that awkward Game 7 against the Dallas A little Mavericks. more than awkward. Well, the game itself was much more than awkward, but the ending to his season, which could have been the end to his tenure with the Phoenix Suns. Kind of what it felt like. Uh, to go out of the game, I don't really even remember much of what happened. I, the rumor was that he was basically saying, I can't get the ball to myself. It seemed like he was aggravated that he wasn't getting touches in an important game. hmm Um, We can all acknowledge that the Phoenix Suns did not utilize DeAndre Ayton as equally in each series in the postseason.
2: And as a team, they failed
1: expectation. Oh, absolutely. That goes without saying. Absolutely. Monty Williams basically confirming they hadn't talked during the offseason. A tumultuous offseason to say the least. Whether you want to talk about the Robert Sarver situation off the court, uh, the fact that they tried to trade DeAndre Ayton, and it didn't happen, and then he gets a max contract, but it's not the absolute max that he could have gotten from the Suns. And then now you've got the Jay Crowder situation. So tumultuous to say the least. It really bothered me. I, I could tell it bothered Gambo. He talked a lot about this, this week that Monty didn't take the opportunity to sit down with DeAndre Ayton and just talk things out, hash it out. And what it made me think of was this week, earlier this week, when the Arizona Diamondbacks... Sent Alec Thomas down to AAA Reno, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking to yourself like Alec Thomas is a part of this team for a long time. Can we both agree on that? Like he's going to be around. I mean, this is only his first
2: year. I'd be shocked if he doesn't last more
1: than half decade. He's he's going to be roaming this outfield for a long time, right? So why send him down to AAA with only a couple of games left in the season? Well, I mean, on the one hand, he was hitting horribly in September. He was like 7 for 55 or something like that. Yeah, there's
2: the performance aspect, which, you know, was starting to get a little more glaring than his defensive prowess.
1: And an opportunity to play in some meaningful games in AAA. Now, the two situations between Alec Thomas and DeAndre Ayton are two totally different things, right? Alec is being demoted because he's not performing well, and they want to build confidence for the future, whereas DeAndre Ayton was literally they tried to trade him to somebody else. He had to get an offer from another team. Somebody else had to tell him, we want
2: you. Yes.
1: In order for the Suns to counter and say, no, we want him more. They
2: challenged him to go out and get what he thought he was worth. Right. And at the sake of a year off and about, what would it be, like 30 or $40 million less? Yeah, it was a big difference. Massive difference. It's a big difference.
1: Even though they're both considered, quote unquote, max deals. So they're very different situations between the two players. But here's where I draw the parallel. Tori Lovello had a conversation with Burns and Gambo this week where he said he had a conversation with Alec Thomas before sending him down. Yes. Letting him know, just because we're sending you to AAA now does not mean you're not a huge part of what we do here. And that's not just lip service. They want him to be their center fielder long term. And he made it clear to him, you may be down there now, but that doesn't mean you lose your spot You ain't going to be down there forever. And I think that's a real missed opportunity for Monty Williams, where he could have gone to DeAndre Ayton in the offseason. Maybe it's after the whole contract thing gets figured out, right? Because you don't want to have this talk before you trade the guy. But after it all, all the dust settles, there could have been an opportunity for Monty to sit with DeAndre and say, listen, I know that it looks bad. I know that the front office tried to look at opportunities to possibly send you out of here. But you're not. You're here. You're a part of the sun still, and you're an important
2: part. Well, how about this? Because on the same day that Aiton said that he's not spoken to Monty, he got several follow-ups. Monty sat down shortly after, and of course, he got his fair share of questions about this, him and Aiton not having spoken. So somebody asked, because you mentioned your setup for this whole argument is a one-on-one that Lovello had with Alec Thomas. So, does Mati need a one-on-one with D.A.? That was asked.
1: I think there are times for that, um, but
2: not, not in a way that is unprofitable. I think there's one-on-ones that are always needed between guys I've been around for a
1: while. Um, some players need it, some players don't. I mean, I'll identify that
2: as the season progresses. I can tell you something else, though. Uh, It doesn't sound like Aiton would want a one-on-one with Monty, because instead of telling him how he feels... I can show him better than I can tell him. Yeah, and you know what? I don't think that's necessarily the wrong thing to say, if you're Aiton. No, it's not. Because what have we been asking out of Aiton for the years that he's been a member of the Suns? Show me you want it. Show the aggression. Dunk a ball. Like, we've been asking for that for years, but just kind of accepted the fact that, oh, he's this happy-go-lucky guy. He's always in a good mood. He's He's a good spirit guy. But then you know what happened, or you know what I surmise happened? Mikhail Bridges became just as much as that happy-go-lucky goofball guy, but he played 82 games, he almost won Defensive Player of the Year, and became a very integral part of the Suns team. Like, he could still be himself while also contributing in a massive fashion on the court. And I think that's why people are upset with Aiden. This is maybe the first time I've ever felt this way, but I think Monty
1: missed... On this opportunity And I think DeAndre Ayton's handling it exactly like how I wanted Now I know that it, it looks bad When he comes to camp and says I haven't, I haven't even talked to coach Since that blow up during game 7 And we're all like what you haven't even talked to him? What, what, What's going on is there a mm-hmm. rift And I know it looks bad but at the same time DeAndre Ayton looked at this organization In the offseason that tried to trade him Actively looked for a trade partner Maybe multiple different deals They had going on for that And now he said oh okay I get it now this is a business. I'm, a, I'm an asset. This is, was a business decision the organization made. I am now going to treat this like a business. This is no longer DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns. This is DeAndre Ayton's business. And his business is now taking care of it on the court. I'm not saying he won't be a fun, lovable guy.
2: He's the same guy, right? But we, he's treating have, things much more business-like. Right, but we also have not gotten... The fun-loving guy, at least to the media. Not yet. yet. At least to the conduit that basically tells the fans and the audience what's going on, right? Now, that kind of comes to a head today. The Suns have open practice today. And I'm seeing on the um, on my tweet deck here in my little Sun section, there's 12,000 people at Footprint Center right now. That's awesome. Yeah, first of all, that's awesome. Second of all... Goes to a joke that our buddy Greg Esposito had on Twitter. Body language doctors out in full force at Suns Open Practice. (laughs) right. Which, I mean, I looked at it when the Suns announced that there would be an Open Practice. And all this stuff was happening with Aiton of how he doesn't feel like the same guy. Well, guess what? 12,000 people now have the grand opportunity to see it for themselves. Now, whether Aiton... Paints a happy face. Monty paints a happy face, however you want to look at it, because they know they're in public. That's a different story. But now people get to see it for themselves as opposed to just kind of guessing or assuming things based off of what is told to them. I think it was Aiden who this week said
1: something about this season's about revenge, right? I wonder if this Suns team, instead of last year's team being motivated by the fun, the dancing, Uh, obviously the winning comes with that, right? I feel like this team's going to be different in that it's going to be all business. It's going to be very buttoned up. I don't think this is going to be the fun-loving, dancing pregame team. There's going to be some of that because naturally you still have some of the same
2: guys. I think there will be that. It won't be as prevalent. It won't be as on blast. It won't be as public. It won't be as overshared like it was last year. Like, when this team went on an eighteen game winning streak after starting one and three, then it became obvious that like, all right, who's stopping this Suns team? Seriously. Well, and I feel like you can only play so many
1: seasons with guys like Devin Booker and Chris Paul, who are both good guys in their own right. Yep. But they ain't they ain't out there dancing. They nope. ain't out there playing around. Nope. They're business. They're here to
2: win. They're business.
1: And I think you can only play so many seasons with a guy like that with two guys like that as your leaders before you start to realize, oh, I get it now. I need to be that guy, too. And I think this is the year where DeAndre Ayton finally buttons up a little bit, and
2: I wouldn't be surprised if he takes his game to a new level. Okay, how about this? We'll close with this. Are you going to be keeping your eyes on January 15th at all this year? What's on January 15th? January 15th is the day that Ayton is eligible to be traded again, if he so accepts it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be looking ahead to that because there's always the possibility
1: that the Suns might have a trade in their back pocket that they want to execute. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, but if you're DeAndre Ayton, your objective between now and January 15th is to prove to this organization that you belong you and think, that they can't get rid of you.
2: Do you think it becomes an impactful date for the Suns? Or, I think it would be more of something the fans are looking or at. Or am I going to leave January 15th and just think of it as you know my mom's birthday?
1: Well, happy birthday to your mom, first and foremost. Very,
2: Uh, several months away. But yeah, that's how I think of it when I think January 15th. I think that even if January 15th is
1: the day they can trade him, I don't think that it would happen until closer to the deadline.
2: Okay. Something to keep an eye on. If it happens at all, and I hope it doesn't. And we'll keep tabs on what's happening at open practice when we circle back to the Suns later. But coming up next, it is another laundry list of injuries that the Cardinals are dealing with heading into Sunday so how are they going to manage? We'll check with our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake, next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday.
2: I do need to wake up, actually. Ugh. Quick stretch there, Mitch Farrell, This is Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass, and we go now to the Arizona Sports Line, where Tyler Drake, our ArizonaSports.com Cardinals insider, is standing by. Who I imagine just finished up a nice trip to the zoo. Correct?
3: No, what? no, actually, we are uh, making it a, a nice and easy day at home today.
2: Okay, I, I respect that. I respect that. So Brady didn't want to
3: go. Is basically what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I think she's going through a growth spur right now, so she's uh, she's a little fussy today.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'm a little fussy when it comes to this weird, this weird record between the Cardinals and the Panthers since 2013. By that, I mean that the Cardinals haven't won a game against the Panthers in that long. Like, it, how how like, how crucial is this matchup for them? Not only to break that, but just to get back their footing
3: this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, it's a weird, I, I think he said it, yeah, he said it best. It's just a weird, weird record that the the Panthers have over the Cardinals right now. And it's like uh, any other, like a legit Super Bowl team, good playoff team, this kind of record is, you could kind of understand it. But when it's the Panthers? especially with the the latest uh, you know teams that they've had against the Cardinals it's just mm-hmm. been weird so uh yeah i think it's it's really really it's, it's i mean every game's a must win obviously in the NFL but this is a definite one that you know the Cardinals should have the upper hand and they should be able to exploit you know all of the Panthers weaknesses and and i know that might sound like a lot after what we saw last week from the Cardinals in but the Panthers are clearly the lesser team in this one
1: I think when most people look at the Carolina Panthers, the first thing they think of is Christian McCaffrey. And rightly so. He's one of the most talented players, not just offensively, but in the entire NFL. I see his name on the injury report this week. Looks like he didn't practice a couple of days. Is he going to play on Sunday versus the Cardinals? And if not, how does that change the game?
3: Yeah, you know, I think he is. Uh, we'll have to see. Obviously, we'll see on Sunday. And uh, but I would say that he's got a good shot. I think he said he felt great 11 times to uh, Panthers reporters, so he kind of pulled a Rondell Moore this week on just saying he was good to go. So uh we'll see there. But, uh yeah, if he can go, that's – that's. I mean, the offense starts and stops with this guy. Plain and simple, he can be a menace in the passing game. He can be a problem in the run game. and And it's not just, you know, getting on the outside and burning people. He can run between the tackles. He can run outside the tackles. You know, the, him in the screen game, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for this Cardinals team is because they've given up a couple touchdowns and they've given up a chunk of yards just in the screen, screen game alone. So uh, obviously if he plays, that's, that's public enemy number one for them for sure. And if he doesn't, I mean, that gives the Cardinals a little more of a, a chance to really pin their ears back and really get aggressive with Baker.
2: So would you say he's the guy that worries you the most if he can't play tomorrow? And if it's not him, who is on this long list of injuries?
3: Uh, for Usain McCaffrey? or for the Cardinals. Sorry, the inverse of that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think the big one for right now would be JJ Watt. I think just we've seen how dominant he's been uh, this season when he can play, and you know he's the only guy on the team that has any sacks. So I think he would be a big one uh, for sure. Uh, that that'd be one to mark, and then I think Rodney Hudson because you know that you need to have that uh, that kind of like a, a basketball term, but that floor general uh, right there in the middle of the line to really, you know, help direct things for Kyler and, and you know, get everybody set. So those would be my two guys to really, really watch. Uh, obviously, Rondell Moore is another guy, but I think when it, at the end of the day, this could be uh, very much a run game, uh, run heavy game. So definitely look for those two guys uh, above all rest, above everybody else. And then I would say Rondell Moore.
1: Talking to Tyler Drake, he's our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. You mentioned JJ Watt there. He's the only Cardinal with a sack. He's got two of them actually. Um, but to be the only Cardinal through three weeks with a sack is is at least a little bit concerning about the pass rush. We knew they were missing a big piece when Chandler Jones left in the offseason. That's obvious. But for nobody else to have a sack is that concerning to you especially when you consider i think zach allen has been fantastic at the defensive tackle position he's got one of the highest win rates in the entire nfl but for nobody else to have any sort of production how does that speak about the pass rush
3: yeah yeah and i think uh, a big thing is I actually went into depth a little bit uh on arizona sports.com about zach allen uh, especially and the pass rush and what it really comes down to is these first couple of weeks, uh, you know, the quarterbacks have been getting the ball out super fast. Uh, that's been something big, that's and that's not necessarily a bad thing, as Vance Joseph said this past week uh, when I asked him about the pass rush because you know those are little gains here and there. So uh, obviously you want <clears throat> you want to see those numbers improve. And one thing about Baker is you know he does you know this year he's held onto the ball a little bit more. I think I mean it's. Let's say I think Patrick Mahomes was 2.53 seconds. He had the ball in his hands per throw on average in week one. Uh I think Matt Stafford was like 2.59 seconds in week three. And Baker, I think, is like 2.88 on average this season with how much he's holding the ball. And it might sound like very, 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 very little, like a little time frame between those two, but that could be the difference between getting the sack and, or at least getting a hand on, uh, on the football. So, uh, I would say this game, there's a real possibility that we could see a couple guys pop for sack, especially Allen, because like you said, he is really showing a lot this year and he is dominating and he is winning a lot of those battles. So I think it's just, uh, just, and, and once again, it, it all comes down to coverage and that line really working together, the marriage, as Vance Joseph also said this week. So uh, if they can connect those things and just have Baker hold on to the ball, I think that's the name of the game.
2: I have a real question, but I want to go off of your idea of somebody who's going to pop in this game. So is that somebody going to be Isaiah Simmons?
3: <laughs> oh, I, uh, we we got to see if he plays more than 16 snaps first.
2: Okay, so then that's my follow-up, because everything we've heard from the Cardinals brass to this point is like he's been great at practice, he's doing his practices, he's had great snaps in the game, the few of them that he can get. So I want to ask you, because you're out there every single day watching practice, what do you see that is I, that is successful Isaiah
3: Simmons? I mean, he's I, he's just, again, like we can't, we we don't get to see a lot. We get to see right. about 20 minutes of the practice, but... It's, it looks like he's doing everything that they ask him to do. It's just I think at the end of the day, it's the stuff that we can't see or we can't report on, and and maybe maybe there's just some disconnect there. But, I mean, from what I see at practice, he he seems like he's engaged. I mean, in the locker room, he's one of the guys that's talking to the rest of the secondary and, and the other linebackers. So, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things where I really can't nail it down just from what I've seen because everything that I see it seems like he's really doing everything they're asking of him.
1: Talking to Tyler Drake, Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, Ty, but last week, Kyler said at practice publicly that they wanted to see the ball go to Hollywood Brown more. Then he followed it up with 14 catches in the game. This week, Kyler says we need to get the ball in the hands of our playmakers like James Conner. So, am I led to believe that James Conner is going to pop off in this game? Or more importantly, why does Kyler have to keep publicly asking for players to get the ball in practice?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's definitely an interesting one. I've I've been picking up on that too. So that's that's definitely something that I've been. Uh, keen on but yeah I think it's uh, one of those things where yeah definitely you know I think it's exactly what you said Kyler mentioned you know he wanted to get the ball to Hollywood and that's exactly what they did I think they they could have got a lot more out of the uh out of that game from Hollywood but it just came down to you know situational you know where they were at in the game and and you know he had a couple of looks where he probably could have scored but that's nothing on him I mean that was just the, I mean 14 catches 140 and they get 17 targets that's great that's 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 why they traded for a guy like that And I think with the James Conner talk, I think that's more so, yeah, I think it's kind of saying, hey, we need to get our running game going. And I also think with just the environment that they're going into, it could potentially, I think it's clearing up a little bit more, but there there is a chance that it could be a rain game or there could be wins. So the run game might need to be utilized. And the best way to utilize the run game is to target the guy that had so many touchdowns for you last season and James Conner. So I think that's kind of uh, where he was coming from because, yeah, Hurricane Ian, uh, I think it's weakening, but there's always that chance that maybe some remnants of a storm come and hit uh, Charlotte on Sunday. Okay,
2: so I hate to end with a dour question, but if this team team loses tomorrow and we come in on Monday and we're trying to figure out what's the top storyline that we're going to write about or we're going to talk about, whatever it is, is it? Do or die here on forward. This team comes in one and three on Monday, and it's do or die here on forward, or is the season completely done? What is your opinion?
3: Oof. So yeah, so they'd be one and three coming into Monday. I, you know, here's the thing. I think they need to be 500 when Hopkins comes back. Okay. So if they lose, if they somehow lose this game, which uh, it's there's going to be a lot, a lot of question mark. I mean, even more so than we have now if they lose this game, but. There is still a chance for them to still get to 500 before Hopkins comes back. So I think as soon as that window shut, then there's some real problems going on.
2: Well, I can't wait because if they lose to the Panthers, then they have the Eagles at home, and the Eagles haven't lost a football game yet this year.
3: Exactly. Yeah. That's the yeah. (laughs) Great.
2: It's fantastic, Tyler. As always, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Okay. No
3: problem. See you
2: guys. That's Tyler Drake, he's our Arizona Cardinals insider for arizonasports.com. Go check out his stuff. He's got a lot of great stuff that he churns out every single day for the website. You can follow him at tdrake4sports on Twitter as well. Now, time for us to look at the rest of the slate this weekend of NFL games, but it's not your normal pickums. It's a little bit different. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: fm Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday takes you around the NFL. That's right. You hear the music. You hear the big voice guy.
2: Myself, Mitch Veraldis, and Steve Zinsmeister. We go around the NFL. Look at this weekend's slate. But we're not going to predict who's going to win, how many points are they going to score. That's boring. What Steve's going to do, Steve's going to tell you why you got to watch this game. And some of these are earlier and later than others, for the record. And then I'm going to tell you who's going to be the fantasy breakout star. Okay. Are you ready to go? Ready to do it. Are you ready to wake up at 6.30 a.m. local time for this one?
1: Give me more football all the time. This is the London game. Yes. Vikings and the Saints. Alright, so why should people watch? Well, it's the London game. There's just some intrigue there, right? They're mm-hmm. playing in another country. There's going to be a ton of fans there that don't usually get to go to football games. But aside from that, why should you watch here in America? The Saints are going to be without their starting quarterback, Jameis Winston. They're going to be without a lot of starters. Which is kind of hilarious to me because backup Andy Dalton is likely to play quarterback, right? Mm Mm-hmm. After they offered all that money to Taysom Hill, their tight end guy thing. Tight
2: end quarterback person guy <laughs>
1: thing-ish. <laughs> I just find it hilarious that Andy Dalton is the backup quarterback when you paid all this money to Taysom Hill to be the heir apparent to Drew Brees,
2: and he's basically a
1: glorified tight end.
2: Well, it's funny you say Taysom Hill, because you know who I think is going to have a big fantasy impact
1: on oh, this game. Oh, no, don't start.
0: Taysom Hill, no, baby!
1: stop it. I hope your fantasy league takes passing yards and
2: Look, here's the thing. Kirk Cousins has been so unpredictable. Justin Jefferson has been blanketed these past two weeks. The running game is suspect because Dalvin Cook's probably not going to play, so they're down to Alexander Madison. Look, if you want to get kooky and the Saints are going to have to get weird... They're going to employ some taste Hill. help. Just be watch. weird. Just you watch. All right, going into the regular morning slate, the 10 a.m. slate, the Cleveland Browns are on the road against the Atlanta Falcons. I think the Cleveland Browns have the best running game in the entire
1: NFL. This isn't some secret that I'm giving you. I mean, when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, those are two starting caliber running backs, mm-hmm. and they're a tandem in Cleveland. Keep in mind, Deshaun Watson doesn't come back till week 13, I think it is, right? 12. 12, something like that? The Browns are 2-1. and one. If they do more than just tread water over the next couple of weeks, he could be coming yeah, they, back to this offense at a time when they have a winning record.
2: Like, on a personal note, and I know you feel differently, can we please stop giving the Cleveland Browns free wins with Jacoby Brissett? Can we please? Can we stop that? So far, so good for them. All right, here's who I like in this one. Marcus Mariota, he's starting to settle in a bit more into this passing game. Cordero Patterson is on the shelf. Will he be out? But... Mariota's got a new favorite target, and his name is Drake London. He's going to have a heyday this weekend. Also, no Miles Garrett tomorrow after that car accident that he got into earlier in the week. No Miles Garrett tomorrow. Hopefully he recovers safely, but man, scary moment. He drives too fast. Now into the division we go. The NFC East division. The Washington Commanders at Jerry World and the Dallas Cowboys. No more
1: Dak for the foreseeable future. Do the the Cowboys just crumble without him? I mean, Clearly has, they haven't. Uh, right. They're 2-1 and one right now. Carson Wentz has been
2: really good this season, by the way. As a he's, passer, yeah. He's, he's a great like, fantasy option right now. He's having a
1: resurgence, but I, I just wonder how will the Dallas Cowboys react to not having their star quarterback? And it's, it's the only thing ESPN's going to talk about for months.
2: <laughs> we don't have anything to talk about. we got to talk about Cooper Rush. Um, I... I'll tell you what, if if this is the game where Carson Wentz finally has a bad statistical game, this has to be it. This Cowboys defense might eat his lunch. So if you've got the Cowboys D, this might be a good week to have them. The Seattle Seahawks on the road in Detroit taking on the Lions. No DeAndre
1: Swift. Nope. No Amon Ross St. Brown. Nope. This really fun Detroit Lions offense. Yeah, you heard me right. Fun Detroit Lions fun. offense. It's Can not going
2: to be fun this week. It's, it's a fun offense, Trev. I want to give you credit they're, they're here. They're averaging what? Is it 24 points a game in these first three games? Yeah, that's right. They're looking pretty solid, Michigan I, man. I've watched Detroit Lions games in full this season. I've never done that in my
1: life. Not once. Well, maybe early, eh, early in my life, very Sanders. Last year maybe. when
2: we were doing around the NFL, we'd skip the Lions. We knew what was going to happen.
1: <laughs> but without these guys and their offense, Detroit versus Seattle? Tell me that's not the worst game on the slate. That,
2: that's going to be rough. I tell you what, though, there's they're two bad defenses for the most part. Jamal Williams, though, has scored a lot of points already, fantasy-wise, three weeks in, and that was with DeAndre Swift in front of him. Now there's no Swift in front of him. This is the Jamal Williams game. Book it, bookmark it there, however the expression goes. Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts beat Kansas City. Tell me that's I, not a statement. No, win. they didn't. No, they didn't? And they didn't. The Chiefs had the ball, like, a majority of the game. They just completely flubbed it.
1: Who had the most points when the clock hit zero? Oh, don't get me started with this. I believe that was
2: the Colts. The Colts are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They're the anomaly of the season. All I'm saying is they might be underrated. I think the Titans will win this game, though. Even though that's not what we're supposed to do. This seems like a good <laughs> Derrick Henry game, right? Although, Darius Leonard is coming back into the picture for the Colts defense. Maybe that'll shore things up, but still, Derrick Henry still looks like Derrick Henry. The Chicago Bears at the New York Giants. Oh, my. One of these two teams is going to be 3-1 and one at the end of the day. One of these two teams... Oh, God, man.
1: One of these two teams is going to be the surprise of the NFL after four weeks. Daniel Jones has, like, none of his receivers this weekend either. Oh my gosh! Well, and I don't exactly feel good about the Bears either.
2: They don't even throw but the ball. one of them is going to be three and one. <sighs> That's what you got to watch. You got to watch for Saquon Barkley too. He looks healthy. He looks good. Speaking of good, this might be the best game of the weekend, surprisingly. The Jacksonville Jaguars trying to knock off the Philadelphia Eagles. You know I've been talking about Jacksonville the last few weeks. I think they're having
1: a resurgence. I think that they're definitely going to be better than they've been. That's obvious. But Philadelphia might be the best team in the NFL right now. They look really, really (laughs) good. Jalen Hurts, to his credit, has performed brilliantly. Made the transition to the NFL very successfully at this point. Took him a little bit of time, but I think he's putting things together. Their offense looks fantastic.
2: It's amazing what happens when a young quarterback gets the faith put in him by the front office and a young offensive wizard of a head coach, and they go out and get a solid receiver option that's on the market. Oh, wait. The Cardinals tried to do that, too, didn't they? I Anyway, I really like Devontae Smith in this one. He had one heck of a game against the Commanders last week. I expect that to continue this week. The New York Jets against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Joe Flacco will not start in this game. <laughs> going to go with.
1: They're going to go with <laughs> Zach Wilson. They're going to bring that guy oh, back. God. Joe Flacco has over 900 passing yards. He's a really good passer. He's got five touchdowns. A pa- I- passer within five
2: yards, I should say. <laughs>
1: Correct me if I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm just going out on a limb here,
2: but I think Joe Flacco should be the starting quarterback of the New York Jets we'll over see, Zach Wilson. We'll see how Zach Wilson does, but, you know, right now he gets the favor because he was the number 2 overall pick last year. Is it going to be a high-production fantasy game from him? Mmm. I think that if anybody's going to have a high production game, it'll be George Pickens, the wide receiver for Pittsburgh, who made that ridiculous catch last week. Pittsburgh passing game is not that great, but I like Pickens if somebody's going to have a breakout game. The Buffalo Bills on the road against the Baltimore Ravens. The top two quarterbacks in the NFL, I mean
1: statistically speaking you look at fantasy leagues all across the country it's Lamar Jackson, it's Josh Allen. These are two of the best and Lamar's in a contract here.
2: How about this one? The leading rusher of these two teams combined, you want to guess? Lamar Jackson? That's a very good guess. 243 Uh. yards on the season on the ground! On the ground! And that
1: doesn't account for the incredible passing he's been doing.
2: I will say this, Baltimore's defense is horrible and no Gabe Davis likely for Buffalo. So if you have Isaiah McKenzie, it's very unlike Dawson tomorrow. Knox, and if you have Stephon Diggs, like I do because I drafted him in the first round, this might be a good day for Buffalo's passing game. The Los Angeles Chargers, I almost said Las Vegas Chargers for some reason, and the Houston Texans. I don't think Houston's going to win a
1: game. I mean, okay. we all know that I didn't believe in Davis Mills, but I, I watched the the Texans and I, I don't see anything of value. You want a really laundry don't. list of injuries,
2: though, like the Chargers. Yeah, I know. No Rashawn Slater, no Joey Bosa.
1: And I guess I'm partially just being facetious because most teams don't go 0-17. Well, nobody's gone 0-17 yet. They can't
2: but... even go 0-17. They have a tie. Oh, yeah, they have a tie.
1: <laughs> My point is they're not winning a game. They're not going to win a game.
2: Okay. Well, I think that because Herbert's still not fully himself, they're going to have to trust the run game, maybe some dink and dunk. This might be the Austin Eckler week, if you have him. The home team. Well, they're not the home team, but they're on the road. They're team. our team. The Arizona Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers. Who's going to catch the ball for the Cardinals? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins
1: is suspended Marquise still. Brown. A.J. Green is out. Which Marquise Brown. I think the fans probably like that A.J. Green is out because he has not endeared himself to this fan base in the last two seasons. Uh, Andy Marquise Isabella. Brown. I hear you, okay? But he's questionable. Marquise Brown is questionable. He'll probably play, though. Uh, Greg Dortch has gotten a ton of targets, by the way, in the first three weeks. I think that there could be a breakout
2: there. I think it's also going to break out on Carolina's side. And I think Baker is just going to pick apart the secondary. And DJ Moore is finally going to have that game that fantasy owners have hoped for. The New England Patriots against the Green Bay Packers. In history, this is an interesting matchup. Now... What is it? Is it a revenge game? For who? Uh, who's avenging? Who's revenging? I don't know. I'll tell you what, who's I'm just ma- I'm game? just mad that this is the CBS game we get in Arizona.
1: Wait, who's revenging in game this game? Get- don't tease me like that. No, I honestly don't know. Oh, okay. Aaron Rodgers versus Bill Belichick. That's what you're watching. What I'm hoping for, I'm not even looking forward to the game. I'm looking forward to the post-game press conferences. Because Aaron Rodgers is one of the most awkward conferences that you'll get. And Bill Belichick just hates everybody.
2: New England's going to have no Mac Jones, or likely no Mac Jones, which means they're going to have Brian Hoyer, which means the passing game is going to suffer a ton. Which means, which means, they're going to go to the ground. Romandre Stevenson, breakout game. Here it is. It's coming. Three more left. The Denver Broncos on the road in Vegas against the Raiders. I think that Josh McDaniels has a
1: chance to get fired in his first season with the Oakland Raiders if they don't turn this thing around. Wouldn't surprise me. They're 0-3. It sounds like they've already been having meetings between him and ownership. That is not the way you want to
2: start your tenure as a coach. And they brought in all this talent. Chandler Jones didn't even have a tackle last week. Yikes. Um... The Broncos' offense has really struggled, like really struggled, given who their personnel is. But they've still gotten productive weeks in the passing game, particularly from Cortland Sutton. And I think he's going to get a touchdown this week. And I think that's going to be big for him. Uh, The Sunday night game, the Kansas City Chiefs against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it will be in Tampa.
1: Oh, yeah, that's notable with the hurricane and all the damage it's done. This is the game where it finally happens, where Tom Brady passes the NFL torch to Patrick Mahomes. This unceremoniously. Season, 20, hashtag Tom Brady downfall 2022. It's <laughs> happening and somebody needs to take the reins. That person is Patrick Mahomes.
2: Somebody needs to take the reins on fantasy too. And I think a healthy Leonard Fournette will do that with like every single Bucs receiver hurt. So playoff Lenny is going to make a big deal of this Chiefs defense. And then the Monday night game, a divisional matchup for the NFC West, the Rams, and the 49ers. It's a rematch of the NFC Championship game. And two teams that the Cardinals have their close eye on.
1: Because we're going to find out really quick, are the Rams still the contenders for the Super Bowl that they were last season? And the 49ers trying to figure their stuff out without Trey Lance and moving back to Jimmy G.
2: Cooper Cup, if you have him.
1: Okay, that was an easy one. I mean, some of them are going to be easy.
2: (laughs) Some of them are going to be difficult. I'll tell you what else is easy. Trying to find blame. What's difficult, who to put it on. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.